A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the history of Russia. As usual, I'm Damon, and this is episode 71, Sophie Becomes Catherine. Thanks for listening in. Okay, so in the last episode, we took a break from the historical narrative and looked instead at a couple of underlying factors, Empress Elizabeth and what made her tick, and a general overview of the state and direction of the Russian Empire. This week, we'll be getting back into our main story, I'll do a quick recap, and then we'll get stuck into what was going on at both the Russian court and across the battlefields of Europe. And yes, unfortunately that means that the war of the Austrian succession is still rumbling or stumbling along. However, there is some light at the end of that particular tunnel, because even though the war won't finally end until 1748, Prussian and Austrian involvement in the conflict would only last for a couple more years. Just before we get going though, I need to tell you that this podcast is supported by the kind and generous members of the Boyar Duma. If you want to join them to get members-only episodes, early access to general release episodes, ad-free content and written transcripts for the price of a cup of coffee a month, then you can by subscribing to the Boyar Duma via Patreon, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and as always, all the details will be in the episode notes. Okay, if everyone's buckled up and strapped in, let's do some history of Russia. And we'll start with the recap. So we'd reached 1744, and as is usual in the games that people play, there were some who were on the way up, some who were seemingly heading for the basement, and others who were dancing to their own strange tune. So looking good were Elizabeth Petrovna, Sophie van Holt-Zerbst, Maria Theresa of Austria, and Alexei Bestuzhev. Elizabeth's first three years on the Russian throne had gone pretty well. She was very much in charge and very much enjoying herself. Night times were a struggle. You never knew who was out there plotting and scheming. But in general, things were going to plan. Her nominated heir was about to get married, and even if he wasn't the happiest child at the party, he would, begrudgingly, follow his aunt's lead and her orders. Russia's budgetary gap had been plugged. She had managed to stay out of most of the war of the Austrian succession, and ex-Tsar Ivan VI was safely bottled up in Kolmogory. Despite her recent illness and lengthy recovery, Sophie's stock was also rising. She had realised that the key to success was first and foremost keeping on the right side of the Empress whilst tolerating her intended husband and distancing herself from her mother's antics. Plus, she'd worked hard at her Russian studies and had almost totally embraced Orthodox Christianity. Maria Theresa, the Empress of Austria, was still hanging on in there 
as were her armies, who had recently chased and harried the Prussians out of Bohemia. And Pastuzhev, Russia's new chancellor, had emerged triumphant from the plots aimed against him. Which brings us on to those who weren't doing so well. Frederick the Great, or at this stage perhaps Frederick the Not-So-Great, had recently been having a torrid time. The plot to remove Pestuzhev had failed disastrously, leaving him, amongst others, with egg all over his face. And as just mentioned, his armies had been pushed back to Silesia by the Austrians and Saxons. Johanna of Brunswick, Sophie's frustrated, frustrating and meddling mother, who had been one of the main causes of Bestuzhev's triumph, was still in Russia, but had massively upset both Elizabeth and Frederick, and, come her daughter's wedding, it looked like she would be sent packing. And then finally we have the heir to the Russian throne, the 16-year-old Peter Fyodorovich, who seemed to be living in his own weird parallel universe. It wasn't all his own fault. He'd had a terrible childhood which had affected his physicality and his mental outlook. Plus, he hated Russia and everything Russian, which meant that most of the time he acted like the sullen teenager that he was. His immaturity meant that he didn't really get the whole marriage to Sophie thing, and in fact, he viewed her more as a friend or a playmate, and he was at his happiest, drilling and parading with real soldiers, or playing with his toy ones. So that's how things stood with our key characters in May 1744. Keen to get the ball rolling, Elizabeth announced that the date for Peter and Sophie's official betrothal would be June the 29th. For Peter, this meant little, and he could carry on swanning around. All he had to do was turn up on the 29th in his Sunday best. For Sophie, however, this was a massive step. She would have to spend three days fasting, the 25th, 26th and 27th, and then on the 28th there would be a ceremony for her conversion to the Orthodox faith, followed by the betrothal itself the day after. Now, you would have thought that at this stage, and bearing in mind what had recently happened, that her mother would be falling over herself to help, but not a bit of it. All Johanna was worried about was where she would be placed in the formal procession and where at the top table she would be sitting. And things didn't improve, and that's putting it mildly, when she found out that the answers to those questions, which were, one, you'll be towards the back of the queue, and two, you won't be sitting anywhere near the top table. But Johanna aside, the preparations went well, by June the 30th, the royal couple were betrothed, and Sophie had become Yekaterina Alexeyevna Romanovna, or, for this podcast, and nearly all of the books written about her in the English language, Catherine. Unsurprisingly, her Russian or Orthodox name had been chosen by Elizabeth. The Yekaterina part, because that had been her mother's Orthodox name, and the Alexeyevna part, well... I couldn't actually find an exact answer or reason for that, but Peter the Great's favourite half-sister had been a certain Yekaterina Alexeyevna, and so perhaps it came from her. Anyway, Elizabeth now wanted to proceed to the next step, the marriage itself, 
But when she consulted Lestock and Brumer, yep, both are still around, regarding the best date for the nuptials, they informed her that there was a slight problem. According to them, Peter wasn't ready to get married for the simple reason that he'd not yet gone through puberty. Although why no one had thought to mention this before, or why it should stop the marriage, remains a mystery. Frustrated, Elizabeth therefore decided that it was probably best to wait for everything to drop into place and then go on a long pilgrimage, this time to Kiev, to see if divine help could speed things along. During the autumn and winter, though, things would only get worse. After the betrothal, Catherine's popularity increased. Everyone wanted to bask in her limelight, and as Peter seemed completely uninterested and spent most of his time sulking or playing in his rooms, she naturally started to receive a lot of attention from male and female courtiers alike. When this came to her notice, the Empress was furious. Who did Catherine think she was? Didn't she realise that this was the Elizabeth show? And to remind everyone at court that she was still the main event, Elizabeth publicly admonished Catherine, accusing her of spending too much of her allowance on clothes and other fripperies. That's a great word, isn't it? Fripperies. Now, this was blatantly unfair and also happened to be untrue. And anyway, a few days later, Elizabeth was all kind words and smiles. Nevertheless, a marker had been laid and Catherine realised in the future she would have to tread more carefully and do everything she could to avoid outshining the Empress. In November, Peter somehow managed to catch measles. He was able to recover from this fairly quickly, but then at some point in either December or January, he became ill again, and this time it was serious. This time it was the dreaded smallpox. Now, regular listeners to this podcast will probably know that during this period, smallpox was a dangerous and potentially deadly disease. It had killed off Tsar Peter II back in 1730, and the death rate for those who caught it was around 30%. The ramifications for those that survived could also be pretty serious, and potentially included encephalitis and blindness. However, in fashionable circles, the after-effect that everyone feared was the potentially intensive and widespread scarring. As Peter lay in a high fever, for Elizabeth and Catherine, the stakes could not have been higher. If Peter died, then he would leave Russia without an heir, and Elizabeth in a potentially precarious situation. For Catherine, there would be no wedding and no husband. All her trials, torments, patience and hard work would have been for nothing, and she would be sent back to Germany with her mother to lead a life of middling obscurity. For two weeks it was touch and go, but eventually Peter began to recover and by the time of his 17th birthday in February, he was ready to make his first public appearance. When Catherine first saw him, she nearly collapsed with shock, and she let out an audible gasp that Peter found impossible to ignore. What's wrong? he asked. Nothing, she exclaimed, but there was. But before we find out exactly what it was, let's take a quick 
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. So what had Catherine gasped at? Well, Peter's less than handsome, schoolboyish face was now entirely crusted with scabs and pitted with scars. Catherine tried to play her initial reaction down, but the damage had been done, and for the next few months Peter became even more of a recluse, sometimes going days on end without seeing anyone. Elizabeth was deeply concerned. She had hoped by now that her nephew would be well on the way to adulthood and that the relationship between the betrothed couple would have improved, but it would appear that the couple were leading what appeared to be separate lives. Not usually prone to making quick decisions, the Empress snapped and let it be known that the wedding would take place in July 1745, and in case you've lost track for podcasting purposes, that's the year we're currently covering. In the end, due to the complicated arrangements and Johanna's meddling and moaning about every single detail, the wedding actually took place in the August. And so finally, after 18 months of cajoling, intrigue, illness, pilgrimages and patience, the first part of Elizabeth's plan had come to fruition. Russia's heir to the throne was married. All that Peter, now 17, and Catherine, 16, had to do was produce an heir or two something that the Empress hoped could be achieved within the next couple of years. But it's the hope that kills you, dear listeners, it's the hope that kills you. And as the 1740s slowly turned into the 1750s, hope was all there was. Anyway, there'll be plenty of time to cover all of that in a future episode. Just one footnote to all of this before we move on to what I know you're all dying to get stuck into, the War of the Austrian Succession. What happened to Johanna? Well, true to her word, as soon as the wedding was over, Elizabeth gave Johanna one month's notice, and in September she left to return to Germany and her husband. However, it wasn't as simple as that, because Elizabeth, probably at Bastugev's suggestion, asked or ordered her to do one last task. On your way back, could you just drop this letter into Frederick over in Prussia? You can. Excellent. And what this letter contained was the official notice that Marderfeld, Frederick's ambassador to Russia and one of Johanna's co-conspirators in the attempt to remove Bastuzhev, was to leave St. Petersburg immediately. When he received the message, Frederick remained tight-lipped, but thanked Johanna and wished her well. When he received the message, Frederick remained tight-lipped, but thanked Johanna and wished her well. In 1747, Johanna's husband and Catherine's dad died, and then in 1758, Prussia invaded Anhalt-Zerbst, and that left her to live out her two remaining years in exile in Paris. 
And talking of Frederick, let's see how he and the others are progressing on the battlefields of Europe. Well, in early January 1745, things were seemingly on the downward slope for the Prussian Emperor. Austria, together with Great Britain, the Dutch and the Saxons, signed the anti-Prussian Treaty of Warsaw and, stop the press, there were even reports that the Russian army was lumbering into gear in Livonia, out towards Frederick's east. And then later in the month, the current Holy Roman Emperor, the Bavarian Charles VII, died, leaving just one viable candidate, Maria Theresa's husband, Grand Duke Francis. In April, the French and the Bavarians made another attempt to kick the Austrians out of Bavaria, but when this failed, the new elector, Charles VII's son Maximilian, signed a peace treaty with Maria Theresa. So Frederick was now literally surrounded, and with the French turning a blind eye to his pleas for further assistance, he made two further desperate throws of the dice. One, he tried to garner support from an alternative candidate for the Holy Roman Emperor, and then two, he tried to get the British and the Russians to intercede with the Austrians in, attempt, in an attempt to buy some time. Both attempts failed, and so now there was no other option but to go all in. The Prussian army would have to try to defeat the Austrians and the Saxons, A, to protect Silesia, and B, to hopefully knock both of them out of the war. And indeed, the Prussian army won three major victories at Hohenfriedberg in June, Zur in September, and Kesseldorf in December. But while Saxony gave up and threw in the towel, the Austrian army showed no signs of quitting. On further reflection, though, both Frederick and Maria Theresa decided that they'd had enough. It was winter, their armies were worn out, and their finances were in a serious state. And so in late December, they agreed to come to the table and sign the Treaty of Dresden. Now, at first glance, Frederick appears to have got the better of the deal. He managed to get the Saxons to agree to pay him a substantial financial indemnity, and he got the Austrians to accept, grudgingly, his annexation of Silesia. However, in return, Prussia had to agree to Francis becoming the new Holy Roman Emperor, and Frederick had to finally accept the pragmatic sanction. <laughs> Remember that? And so, by the end of 1745, Germany and Central Europe ceased to be an active military theatre. Fighting involving in the main the British, French, Spanish and Dutch would continue on until 1748 in several other theatres, notably in the Netherlands and Italy, North America, India and in various maritime locations. But for us here at the History of Russia podcast, that's pretty much the end of the War of the Austrian Succession. Don't worry though, because in the 1750s and 1760s, we'll have the Third Silesian War and the Seven Years' War to plough our way through. Okay, for the final part of this week's episode, we're going to meet two brothers and a cousin who would collectively play a major part in Russian court politics during the remainder of Elizabeth's reign and beyond. So, ladies and gentlemen, meet the Shuvalovs, Alexander, Pyotr and Ivan. The two brothers, Alexander, born in 1710, and Pyotr a year later, 
had been loyal supporters of Elizabeth since the late 1730s, and both had been instrumental in ensuring that the 1741 coup had been a success. Alexander was made a Chamberlain in 1741, and a Count in 1746, and from 1745 onwards, he took over from Ushikov and ran Elizabeth's secret chancery, a.k.a. the secret police. Piotr was also made a Chamberlain and a Count and a Senator, but his influence at court was greater, mainly because he was married to a certain Mavra Shepaleva, who happened to be a close friend of the Empress. Piotr's official roles were all related to the army, and in particular the artillery, and his main military claim to fame was the invention of a kind of cannon or howitzer called the Lycornes or Licornes, which remained in service for almost a century. In the background, though, and later in Elizabeth's reign, Piotr's main interests and areas of speciality were gaining as much power, influence and money as he could. In fact, both brothers were ruthlessly ambitious, knew how to play the game of politics, and were therefore not known for being warm, kind and charitable, unlike their younger cousin, Ivan. Ivan Shuvalov was born in 1727, and therefore was a generation younger than the two brothers. Initially, they helped him by placing him at court, soon after Elizabeth had grabbed power, in 1742, when he was aged just 14. However, later in the 1740s, Ivan forged a very close relationship with Elizabeth, or she did with him, and this would in turn help Alexander and Piotr to even greater positions of influence. Now, as indicated, Ivan was a different character to his cousins. He was kind and warm-hearted, interested in science, the arts and education, and didn't appear to have a single ambitious bone in his body. Well, almost. Okay, that's where we'll draw the line for this episode. Join me next time where we'll be dealing with a mixed bag of mixed fortunes, good for some, namely Peter, Elizabeth and Pastuzhev, but bad for others, namely the Stock, Brumer, and in particular, Catherine. So until then, dear listeners, and of course patrons, chins up, heads down, fight the good fight, and stay as safe as you possibly can. <laughs>